Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. to turn all of the microphones on. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey, assuming my microphone is, in fact, it on. It is. It is on, and it's working. Are we sure? Yes. <laughs> I see little winky blinkies. Well, hopefully the folks at home can hear. Yes. Well, uh, well and welcome, folks at home. Hello, Robert, in the chat. Welcome. Hey, uh, good to see you here. Um it is kind of a special evening because not only are we going to talk about a really, really, really spiffy project, but it is also, I come to find out, the 15th anniversary of Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> oh, no, really? <laughs> Today. 15 oh, years wow. ago. You want to explain that to folks who, who may not get... I mean, okay, so there's the meme that everybody knows. Right. Right. So what happens in, in, the, in the video game, the multiplayer video game World of Warcraft, the, some of the developers got together and they made a video where they were playing the game and it somebody was playing a character in there called Leroy Jenkins and Leroy Jenkins left the party to go get himself a chicken sandwich and the rest of the party created this plan of attack in World of Warcraft. Okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. You're going to go over here. You're going to attack this and do that. So, so Leroy comes back and he's impatient and he doesn't know the plan and just shouts a battle cry of his own name and just goes tearing through the rest of the game and gets everybody killed. And for the longest time, people thought it was real and memes were created and and well, oh, just chicken, not a sandwich. OK, I see. I'm 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 playing catch up as well. Thank you. Sci-fi snob. Uh, but yeah, it was it was one of those things where it just it just took off, and and apparently I think it was revealed a few years later that it was actually staged. It was like no, because they posted they posted a first take to prove that they had set it up. So because the longest thing, nobody would believe them that they faked it. So yeah, today fifteen years ago, Leroy Jenkins. Things that take on a life of their own that nothing you can do can drive a steak through its heart. Right? I know, right? <laughs> Speaking of chicken, I made some really good barbecue chicken Saturday night. I was very uh, proud so, of myself. So the new apartment has a uh, concrete porch and brick railings, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is enclosed. Uh, my old apartment was a second floor apartment with a wooden balcony, so you would not necessarily want to barbecue on that for safety's sake. Sure. But concrete and brick make relatively good, uh, you know, uh, they don't burn as well. So I've actually been 
on the nicer days, I've actually been barbecuing out on my uh, out of my porch. Um, and yesterday, um, it was just warm enough that I uh, made myself some burgers and sausages and cooked some extra, so I've got some to enjoy, and it was really nice. Little little pleasures of new apartments. Yeah. So I'm gonna do this here because we want to see now sci-fi snob you are very late the last several recordings it's been very <laughs> clear that this is this is the same background it's been for like two weeks although i did notice <laughs> that you switched your pictures uh well yeah so the um uh the pictures on the wall these are actually my own paintings um and the black the really dark one is actually got quite a lot of color but it really doesn't read from here um, so I work from home, and so this is also the background on my professional level from for, for work. And um, it, it was a matter of changing which paintings actually played best for uh, a professional environment. I've got so uh, well in your head. It was just yesterday. Okay, fine. Um, your sense of time. I want to work on that, but yeah. Um, there so yeah, is... in fact, I may rotate some more through because I have, while I have a lot of wall space here, I also have a lot of windows, and it ends up being one of those. Does a painting look good in between these two windows? No. <laughs> that sort of thing. There is a, a a theory of the universe that a friend of mine, a friend of mine, and I had discovered and discussed back. Oh, good night. I think back, and my early days of college something called implicate reality which basically puts forth the notion that the universe is not real except what you individually perceive for yourself so for example the the computer monitors and everything that i see in front of me is real because mm -hmm. I perceive it. Right. But since I don't actually see any of this stuff behind me, and because I don't see anything outside this room, it's not real until I perceive it. It's an implied reality until I perceive it as a real reality. There's very, that's very physics in there for you, because, of course, that's the observer effect. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a little bit of the holographic universe rolled in there. Uh, and uh, the thought necessarily that we only exist because you perceive us. I'm not sure I'm going to go with that. I just want you to know. Don't take it personally. Well, as long as, as we have a, a, a good handful of people who perceive us regularly here, I'll be happy with that. Well, we've been recorded, so strictly speaking, we have backups. Yes, true. So we can prove to ourselves that we're real. Well, if we have to be rebooted. Yeah, there you go. Uh, speaking of reboot, this is not a reboot. It is a restoration. And tonight's topic we're talking about, uh, we had this story on Good Morning Multiverse this past Saturday. Uh, talk about... Uh, it's not really an anniversary, but something that's been around for a while now. 40 years old. If that helps anyone. 1980. Uh, it was originally... So once upon a time, there's this little filmmaker named George Lucas. And he was a giant fan 
of the old serials and old science fiction stuff. And, and he was a big fan of this character called Flash Gordon. And he wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. And a producer uh, named Dino De Laurentiis, who is responsible for a great many wonderful movies and a great many not so much wonderful movies, um, would not let George Lucas have the rights to this Flash Gordon character. So George Lucas said, well, fine, I'll make my own space opera. Thank you very much. And for some reason, it seemed to work for him. And, uh, you know, but uh, of course, once Star Wars went into production, De Laurentiis had to basically say, okay, well, we're making ours. We're making ours now. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, so we get uh, Flash Gordon. And the other part of that, apparently, the other part of that story I hear uh, is that uh, Star Wars, both Star Wars and American Graffiti came out of a bet he made with uh, Francis Ford Coppola, who had looked at THX 1138 and the financial ruin that it almost brought to American Zoetrope and basically dared George Lucas to make a mainstream film, mm. make a comedy and make something for kids. And that kind of tied into Lucas's interest in, you know, going back and doing the serial with Flash Gordon. And that's how we got Star Wars. Yeah, it, uh, the the way things could have played out is is very very fascinating. I mean, Flash, you know, Flash Gordon done by George Lucas would have been a very interesting movie. Would, would it have had the would that version of the character had the staying power that Star Wars has had? Then yeah. you also have to consider who almost directed Flash Gordon. The list of people who almost directed this movie, Federico Fellini, <laughs> almost was a director of this film. Um, De Laurentiis wanted him, and, and he didn't want to do it. Um, Nicholas Regg was going to do it. Um, and uh, uh, Sergio Leone was one of the directors who was approached. Oh, and that they would have been interesting. Is it, no kidding. Right. And a lot of these big-name directors turned it down because De Laurent they felt that De Laurentiis' version was not, a, A, true enough to the character, and was not treating it with the dignity it deserved. Um, it, we would not be talking about Flash Gordon, this particular movie, if it had not been made the way it was made. Well, and the other part of that, too, is you look at who who did the screenplay for this. Lorenzo mm -hmm. Semple. Right. Who was a writer on Batman 66. Well, and he was not happy with the script. He was not happy with the way they made the film. Uh, it's fascinating how many people looked at this movie involved in the production of the film were like, we are not making a good movie here. <laughs> and how much it actually had a, uh, you know, the legs that it had. And of course, there's a lot of different reasons for that. One thing, it's a fun movie. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It um, is. The I Queen mean, soundtrack. The, yeah, that's that's one of the things. Plus, I've got to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this up here for people to see. Brian Blessed. Oh, I well, mean, yeah. his performance is so over the top, but, but look at this. This is from the, this is from the trailer of the new project. It is really, really, really pretty. Yeah, well, uh, I was watching it today. I was watching it um, uh, while I was working on something for work. Cause I was telling I can get away with that. And the color of this movie, the yeah. richness of the images, the special effects are, let's just say they are dodgy. Uh, but 
the the richness of the images, the mm-hmm. color of the film. I mean, here's here's Max von Sydow as as Ming. I mean, look at the red. I mean, oh, the production this. This the production design great. on this movie is a thing of beauty. Uh, there is it is so ornate and so over the top and so just lush. Yeah, that it actually ends up really helping with the film. And you mentioned Brian Blessed. I mean. If you're not familiar with the power of Brian Blessed's voice, then <laughs> there are there are many many opportunities for you to enjoy it. Um, but this film has so many camp performances, and yet you've got Max von Sydow, who, with some really silly dialogue, sometimes brings a gravitas to Ming, which is I mean he's underplaying in a, in a film where people are chewing the scenery uh, with ketchup. You know, uh, he's sitting there. I mean, he's he's saying some incredibly bizarre lines uh, and some that are very, very creepy. Yeah. Um, with a dignity, which is just stunning. I mean, it's it's so much fun to watch this movie as an adult because there's well, there's some really creepy things in this movie as an adult. You're going, hang on uh, <laughs> some innuendo stuff that slip right past the censors. Uh, but but I mean, this um, is just this is just just the colors so, in this. So this is a fascinating thing. That particular uh, character right there, um, uh, Crichton, is played by a guy named Peter Wingard, who's a famous British actor. And if you are a fan of the 1960s, 1970s British TV, things like you would get like The Prisoner or The Saint or The Mod Squad or you know that you know, all these different kind of very specific kind of things would come out of this period. Um, Department S and Jason King. Uh, and and Peter Wingard has got this amazing mustache and this shock of of wavy curly brown hair, and he's been he was really influential to a lot of comic creators. The X Men's villain, the Mastermind, who is a huge part of the Dark Phoenix saga, the, uh, the Hellfire Club, and all of that, mm-hmm. is directly modeled off Peter Wingard. Peter Wingard's also done Doctor Who. Um, he was in the Saint. He was in the Avengers. He I mean he's cropped up all over the place. He was a huge thing in in British uh, TV. He's also an influential figure in defining characters like uh, Austin Powers. Michael Myers based Austin Powers off Peter Wingard's character in, in Jason King. And if you're a fan of The Invisibles, Grant Morrison's The Invisibles comic, there's a huge influence on King Mob uh, from Peter Wingard. It's amazing how much this one British actor, well, of course, all of these writers were British, British comic writers, uh, who are the right age to have grown up with him on their TV screens. No. Uh, but uh, the, the, the influence, and you never see his face in this movie. He's basically doing Doctor Doom the entire movie, uh, gold-plated Doctor Doom, and he's <laughs> one of the most, he's, he's this incredibly famous British acting face, and you never see his face. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see, who who all have we got in here? Uh, Jeff and Eastland, welcome to the chat. Yeah, and Matuane, hello, ahoy. Um, I highbrow versus fun Eastland makes the the comparison here too many seek highbrow and avoid the fun are we at the point now where because i got to thinking about this earlier this kind of movie probably well see it's kind of hard for me to 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 say one way or the other after after 10 years of marvel cinematic universe and the fits and starts from DC, could this kind of film 
be made today? Just um, just on the yes, on the it, on the on the merits of the kitsch and the presentation, not necessarily how certain characters are treated, because there there okay. would be some complaints about some it things. It could be. But, it could be, and to some degree, it has been. Um, the I think the issue would be that someone making uh, Flash Gordon today like this movie dealt with the character and the characters and the whole world. I think a lot of people would be less than thrilled with because they want a more faithful adaptation. The fans overall seem to, that seems to be what people are looking for now. But if you go back and you look at stuff like Mystery Men, um, and however people feel about uh, the Harley Quinn movie, um, there's a lot of that kind of, uh, or, or you look at something like uh, Scott Pilgrim, or you look at some of these other things that are based on comic books where there, there's some of the stuff is baked in. And so you could do this kind of movie. You just wouldn't, I don't know you'd necessarily do it with a Flash Gordon movie. Um, because I think a lot of folks at this point, there's been a hunger for a while, if you're a fan of Flash Gordon, for a really high quality, you know, faithful to the series. Well, a version of the series, because there's been a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, Flash Gordon movie. And I think that, so I think that I don't think fans would necessarily want this for Flash Gordon. We've seen movies like this. They're popping up. They're, they're, they're around. Um, and, um, oh, Rain Wilson was in a superhero movie uh, years ago, and I'm drawing a complete blank on what it's called, that has certain oh. certain elements of the camp to it. So, yeah, um, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I think, I think, either, I think, but... I think this, there's, there's an audience for, oh, thank you. Thank you, Madeline. Um, but so yeah, there's a there's an audience for this kind of thing, um, but the idea. So I think the, I think the biggest risk people would have now is intentionally trying to make a movie like this because well, I don't. If, I, I think the you know you say there's so that. many things here that yeah, but you say that and and of course we have the news and this has been around. For, this has been out for a while. Although we haven't heard anything of it lately, but Taika Waititi is supposed to be working on a new animated feature adaptation mm -hmm. of the original comic strip. Not He's not yeah. working off of this 1980 movie. He's actually working off of the Raymond comic strips from the, right. original, from mm -hmm. the 30s. And he's a huge fan. He's He's been very, very clear about how much a huge fan he is. And, and there's a little movie, uh, Guardians of the... Guardians of the... Galaxy, maybe is that Swamp? what it is? Guardians uh, of the yeah, uh, I mean that's a huge. Yeah, James Gunn uh, definitely is a huge, huge fan, and he's talked about how much you know this movie is an inspiration for a lot of his you know vision of the Guardians of the Galaxy universe. Yeah, um, there's a lot of you know this. So I think it's one of those films that is definitely a product of its time and the people behind it. Dino De Laurentiis was a force of nature for good and for bad. Um, <laughs> there's a King Kong remake that didn't need to happen that, that he's responsible for. Um, but uh, you know, they, you look, you look at the cast they brought together for this movie. No, I mean, I, I look, anytime I think of Dino, Dino De Laurentiis, I also think about Golan Globus. Because they, it almost feels like they they were in that same camp. They went to the same school uh, to to learn this stuff. Because some of the stuff that Gola Globus did is right right in this same wheelhouse. Um, it's it's 
kitschy fun, mm-hmm. um, but not good. Um, for the for those of you who would want a a a, a reference, uh, Star uh, Superman for the Quest for Peace was produced by Golan Globus rather than the Salkins for Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and we see how that turned. Because the effects were not as good, and you had Nuclear Man, who was a rather off-putting villain. So, you know, the unfortunate thing about this is that this was originally planned to be a trilogy, and everyone had been signed up for the three films, and um, it did not go according to plan. <laughs> Uh, for one thing, it did not do the box office that they were hoping for in the States. Now, in the UK, in the U- as, as big as fans as a lot of Americans are of this movie, it is dwarfed by the UK fandom for this film. This well, that's film because of Brian Blessed. Oh, well, of course. Well, and Brian Blessed and half a dozen other people in this movie who are just <laughs> like, you know, um, it's, it's a, it was a huge, huge hit in, in the UK, but not so much in the US. And it made its budget back, but... Yeah. Um, and then there was, of course, the unfortunate fact that uh, Sam Jones, Sam Jones' experience with the film, he had no interest in coming back and doing uh, ADR, which the ADR in this film is fairly charming when you can see the people don't lips don't quite line up with their words. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he wouldn't come back to do his ADR on it. And so they had a different actor uh, come in and do his uh, his dialogue, which did not make Sam terribly happy. And so there were a lot of factors that played into us not getting a trilogy uh, of, of Flash Gordon films. And to some degree, I'm happy about that because would it, would the second and third one have held a candle to this one? Could you Could you imagine two more films with this kind of... Well... Everything... See- See, the thing is, it, it, I guess it would depend on what kind of stories they were going to tell. Because this is essentially Ming's origin story. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's Flash for a certain, a certain part of it, but it's also Ming's origin. And, you know, when, when Dale looks at him and says, you're just merciless, and he's like, oh, Ming the Merciless, I think I like that. I'll try that off for size. Sure, I'll take that. Um, so it's it's kind of this kind of sets up the animosity between Meng and Flash, and it would have been interesting maybe to see how that would play out in the second and third movie because the second movie, of course, if you go by the traditional three act structure, Meng would win. Well, and, and Clytus was, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Crichton was supposed to be in, in, in some stories of what was supposed to happen next, because there's conflicting ones. He was supposed to be the uh, villain of the second one, uh, but he's, he's in the, the actor, you know, Wingard said that he picked up the ring. And so it was supposed to be, you know, because we, we watched, we watched Crichton die, but, mm-hmm. um, it's comic book death. Everyone knows that. Uh, well, and you know, same for Ming because if oh sure, you know, you never you. I mean, Clytus. I kept saying Crichton. It's Clytus. Clytus. Um, I mean, I mean, he, it's, he's a cousin to Crichton. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. 
but it's it yeah it, it, the I think the idea was uh, at least one of the versions I heard was that uh, the general would be you'd think he would be becoming the new big bad and then at the end it would be revealed that Ming had basically taken him over and you know you'd get Max von Sydow back yeah in all his in all his understated glory he I cannot tell you how much I just love his performance in this movie. Uh, for someone who is so, everybody else is so leaning into the over-the-top, all the big-name people are leaning into the over-the-top, and he's just like, I'm being the merciless, I can do what I want. Just, well, you know, I'm here. And, and it works, though. Oh, it works because, incredibly well. you know, if if he had gone over-the-top more, as much as everybody else had, then it almost would have taken the whole thing into parody at, at that point. Oh, sure. Well, and, and um, um, Timothy Dalton played it straight, too. He apparently uh, he had a conversation with uh, with Max von Sydow, and that was one of the reasons that he played it. Because and it actually ends up working because at the end of the film, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen the movie, and what's wrong with you? You need to see the movie. Um, he it plays well with this character. You know, it's like this is the new ruler, and everyone's like, yeah, okay, because mm-hmm. you know he comes across as that character in the end. It, it makes sense. It's not it's not Game of Thrones ending. It's it, it's a sensible one. Yeah, I had somebody post on Facebook today uh, when we t- posted we were going to talk about this, uh, talking about the the test mm-hmm. when you know you stick your hand in and you know that whole thing just gives you the oh. creeps. There's 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 a lot of nightmare fuel in this movie, but a lot of it actually ends up playing. There's a and and again, it's it's the production team and a lot of this of course playing in a different audience than necessarily American audience there's mm-hmm. so much innuendo in this movie yeah that it's kind of stunning it made it past the American censors because as a grown up I can watch this and going hang on <laughs> what are you saying yeah. uh, Mazur says in, in, in uh, Texas uh, remember the film almost went straight to the dollar theater when it was released I miss the dollar theaters. You know, there were still there were still some down in Wichita. I think they were like five buck screenings. Um, not really dollar theaters, but yeah. um, they were. I caught a, quite a few things. Uh, you know that I didn't catch the first time around. I got to see them on the big screen. It was really nice. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Robert, um, uh, Mr. Heinsen, hello, sir. Uh, I I'm actually a fan of Timothy Dalton's Bond movies. Um, I think they were too early because we basically got the serious somber Bond eventually, and the Bond play you know, to to a to some degree playing Bond as a you know as a functioning in in the semi real world kind of character. Right. Uh, with the la- with with the early ones of of the current run, um, Dalton was just too early for it. Well, and the other thing too, you know, the question about Pierce Brosnan. Um... We would have gotten Pierce Brosnan sooner had it not been for NBC mm-hmm. hearing all of the talk about Pierce Brosnan up for the next, you know, up to be the next James Bond. And they uh, they activated, you know, they they invoked the reserve activation clause and drafted him back in for another season of Remington Steel. And word is, he was not too thrilled about it. So, because he was almost Bond. And then he, he was, was Bond. Bond. And then, of course, 9-11 happened, and we had all of this, you know, revert back to the more 
serious-ish. You know, do the restart and the reboot and, and, you know, wipe the slate clean, start over with a new Bond. And Brosnan caught the fallout from that, too. So, you know, well, and to be and, shame. And, he was and a pretty good be, one. To be fair, the, the Bond movies have a tendency to start off with a new actor fairly strong. Mm-hmm. And then they get campier as they go. Uh, and it's 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 not any particular actor's fault. Connery had it. Moore had it. Uh, I, Dalton. Dalton never had it. But like I said, again, people were not ready for a serious, somber yeah. Bond. It was, I don't remember it was written Connery, a lot like books. I don't remember Connery's stuff getting all that campy, though. Not, not to the extent some, that Moore's there's did. Some definite camp, there's some definite camp in the later Bond movies. And and besides, if you get into Never Say Never Again, I mean, it's the camp version of Thunderball. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's there's there's so much in there. It's like, okay, sure. Um, but and and unfortunately, you look at that uh, Pierce Brosnan's last outing as Bond. I mean, Invisible Cars. I mean, come on, guys. Invisible Cars. No, Wonder Woman can pull off the invisible plane. Bond cannot pull off the invisible car. I'm sorry. Speaking of camp, here, take a look at this, the, the landscape here. I mean, it's this this particular shot here where the where the uh the rocket is crashing down onto uh onto Mongo. That it's done the way almost the same way they did it in the serials. You've got the oh, model. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like they had to have been doing this on purpose to make it look like the old style. From the well, 30s. they were also they were also constrained by something that you know we just don't think about now. They did not have CGI. Yeah. You just, I mean, you built practical effects. You, you, if you wanted a rocket to crash into a planet's surface, you built a rocket. Yeah. And you crashed it into something. So. Yeah. Um, and some, in some cases, in the film, it works incredibly well as an example of model work in some cases it just adds to the camp so sure. and uh, sci-fi snob was more ever not campy i th- i think probably live and let die i don't think he was very campy in that one um especially campy. when you when you introduce him at his wife's grave and go from there into voodoo uh, you know he was smart alec you know he 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 riffed off the puns a little bit more than Connery's did, I think, from the beginning. But um, the camp... I think, unfortunately, with with more of a lot of the writers wanted to work more of the saint uh, into his portrayal of Bond. Yeah, and I think that that there's a there's a level of of wry humor in the saint that doesn't necessarily translate over to the Bond universe quite the right way. And that's just you know people were huge fans of Roger Moore's portrayal of the saint and again folks if you have not seen the saint and i don't mean the val kilmer movie um which has a great soundtrack you you Um, see you see that they're going to reboot it with chris pine so i'm i i'm not against new versions of the saint my issue is I don't necessarily know that we need new versions of the saint because we've had so many different variations on that character mm-hmm. play up uh, everything from Remington steel is in many ways, an updated version of the saint. Um, you look at uh, white collar 
There's yeah. a lot of the same baked, in, baked into that that TV show. There's a there's a lot of different ways that character has come to our screens um, with uh, uh, various riffs on the theme. So I mean, it would it would have to be. I'd be concerned that it just wouldn't stand out. I'd be happy to be proven wrong, and I have no problem with Chris Pine playing the part. Um, I just I would be I would really really hope they find a way to make it capture the flavor of what really made the radio show and the TV show uh, as fun as they were. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, think, this, I think it's a real challenge. Yeah. In this, in this day and age, though, yeah, I don't know that they could be able to really pull that off. Not well, as and, well. And fingers crossed that they do. I mean, I think it's just going to require um, some really, really clever ways to make it work i would almost if it were me and of course please send your checks to um is i'd set it i'd set it in the original time period i'd make it a retro show because i think it could have i think you could a play with some of the the modern concepts of of that time period and also some of the realities of that time period but also really riff on on what the saint is in terms of who who he is, yeah. Uh, by putting it putting it more so in, in the original time period, I think it'd be a lot of fun actually if you did it right. Well, they kind of did that with with the Man from Uncle. Oh yeah, and and I and the Man from Uncle movie I think is is better than it gets credit for. I I would have actually been fine with more sequels coming out of that. There's a certain amount of fun to that movie that I actually found it worked pretty well. No. Yeah. It wasn't great, but in terms of a a fairly interesting adaptation of of the of something that I was worried they'd really screw up, I thought they pulled it off pretty well. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Debbie Harry was in the running to play Princess Aura. When Nicholas Regg was going to direct, Keith Carradine mm -hmm. was supposed to be Ming the Merciless. Oh, that would have been interesting. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, if they, do if they do remake this in live action... Well, they wouldn't be remaking this because you can't. You, well, I mean, sure. Freddie Mercury's gone. Max Van Sido is gone. You can't remake this. Well, you know who you get to play Ming the Merciless is Nicolas Cage. Okay, but we just discussed <laughs> the fact that the subtle version of Ming makes him very effective. I'm not saying Nicolas Cage can't do subtle. I've seen him do it. Yeah, I'm just he, saying... He just plays against type. I'm just saying that if you give him the Ming the Merciless costume and let him go, I, I do not have faith that he will, he will, he'll rein it in. I just don't see it happening. <laughs> <laughs> Although it could be its own kind of genius. I mean, who are you going to get to? You're, who are you going to replace Brian Blessed with? I mean, Brian, how do you do that? Brian is Brian Blessed still alive? I believe he is. Well, then you replace Brian Blessed with Brian Blessed, right? Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, perfectly honest, I, I I would be okay with that. I would be uh, <laughs> I mean, playing an, an older version of the character. Yeah, sure. I have problems with that. Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> that would be fun. 
But well, well, and you know, and, and see the thing is, he he could play Voltan in the animated if Waititi is is into oh, no the winks at the fans. Well, and 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 you know, yeah, Timothy Dalton is still alive. He could reprise, but you know what? Timothy Dalton would make an absolutely great Ming the Merciless if uh, if you've seen him in Penny Dreadful, if you've seen him in playing Rassilon on Doctor Who, uh, crazy evil. Yeah, well, see, I we want we want that good good new version of the Rocketeer too, <laughs> because that's a an unsung uh, uh, film, too unsung of a, of a movie as it is. That's that's way too much fun of a film. Dennis um, Hopper was considered for the role of Doctor Zarkov. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, again, it could have been amazing, but uh, Topol. Uh, you know, but there's so many cool things about, again, some of the subtext in here, Topol's never, Topol's, uh, uh, Hans Zarkov has never expressively said that this character is Jewish, but no. there's so many references to his, his culture and faith in there. And of course, for, if you're not familiar who Topol is, the Fiddler on the Roof, the classic production, he was, you know, the main character. And there's so, I mean, he, at the time, he was such an amazing stage performer. And the fact that here he is just, there's so many great Hans Zarkov lines in this movie. Yeah. The opening bit with his assistant is so, I mean, I was watching that thinking this is like lifted from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, it's, it's the <laughs> same kind of humor and it's such a, it's such a really, really funny sequence. Um, and of course he, he was well known for doing all kinds of just, I mean, he was a hugely versatile actor, mm. amazing singing voice. Uh, but you know, there was a, a there were so many little nods of, of, I don't know if you would call it necessarily an, uh, a reference to Fiddler on the Roof, but the fact that they sort of just very, very subtly made all these references to, to something that really was, you know, Tobel was known for this part in the minds of, of a significant chunk of, of the folks who knew theater at the time. Yeah. So there's just a lot of cool things in there with that. I really, well, really plus enjoy. you've got, you know, you've got John Williams doing the, the music for Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, movie. yeah. Well, another thing is that a lot of people realize that, the, of course, the soundtrack for the film is by Queen, but a lot of the instrumental music for the movie was by Brian May. So it was also, it was a, it's a double threat because you've also got Queen doing the songs, but Brian May, of course, who's this amazing composer on his own, um, and of course, the lead guitarist for Queen, um, doing a lot of the music that you just, you're just hearing it, you're not necessarily registering it as being, this is Queen music. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, there's just uh, so many cool things. I, I kind of like, I kind of like Robert's suggestion here, Robbie Coltrane to succeed Brian Blessed as Voltan. You know, I, I, I could, could go with that. that. I think we, we all need more Robbie Coltrane. I could go with that. I think, what do you think about Ray Winstone as a possibility? Is he not, is, is he, is he over the top enough? Um, okay. So if you want to, if you want to have this sort of big operatic kind of, let's push the limits of, of silliness uh, kind of tone. I think a lot of actors would relish the opportunity to do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Ray Winston would be like, you want me to basically Brian bless it all over the place. I will do this thing. <laughs> that's what, yes. That's I think that would be, should... that would be, I'm sure, I'm sure he would probably just jump at the chance. Yeah. Mazers. Yeah. I, when, when I, when I first saw that, 
it was it was one of those where you know you you know just because you know Flash is going to be okay because he's the hero, you know. But at the very same time, the tension in that scene is enough, and I was young enough. I mean, 1980, I was 10. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know you. Rational mind says hero is going to be okay. Child mind looking at this goes, Ooh, yeah, don't, no. be careful, be uh, careful. Yeah, it was something. So, well, and it's fascinating when you look at this. When we, uh, so many of these actors were very, very well known in Europe and Italy because a lot of the cast is, is European, uh, uh, British, and, and European and Italian, and and specifically. Uh, this is one of the reasons it was a huge hit in Italy was because there were enough famous Italian actors in the film to make it a almost a homegrown picture for for audiences there. Um, but they weren't necessarily very well known in the U.S. No. And, of course, now, you know, Timothy Dalton, Brian Blessed. I mean, everybody knows who Brian Blessed is. I mean, <laughs> if you go to TV Tropes, his name is always typed in all caps. That's just, I mean, that's, that's, it's the only way you will see his name because it's Brian Blessed. Um, He has no, he even, even his subtext is on full volume. Uh, You know, it's just, it's just what makes him great. But so many actors who we've come to really know and just become, as far as genre actors, especially, you know, whether it's, whether it's Bond or, or Stargate or Doctor Who or, I mean, so many of these characters have ended up in our genre films and TV shows and become huge, huge things within them. Um, and yet in 1980, uh, I'd say there were a, a pretty sizable chunk of American audiences who didn't know who these people were. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's go through this article real quick. This is where we first found it. Uh, comingsoon.net is where this article this is an article from Max Ivory on May 7th. Flash Gordon 4K trailer poster and UK Blu-ray deals revealed. This is a new poster here from Matt Ferguson. And we scroll down through here. This is where the tra- they've got the trailer here. But then oh, I want this is this is coming from Studio Canal in the UK. Uh, Studio Canal is based in France, I believe. They have an office in London. They've got an office in LA. And uh, here is a, a list of details. Look, here's all of the here's the photograph of all of the stuff that comes in this collector's edition. Besides the movie restored in 4K, uh, you get uh, an an extra here. New Lost in Space Nick Reg's Flash Gordon audio commentary from Mike Hodges audio commentary from Brian Blessed. Behind the scenes, a stills gallery, stop that, a stills gallery, a storyboard gallery, the original theatrical trailer, which when I went and did a search for it on YouTube, I didn't immediately find it. Uh, and then you have the second disc, which has a bunch of interviews, interview with Art, uh, with Alex Ross, mm-hmm. uh, Lorenzo Semple, Episode 24 of Flash Gordon, The Survival Game, Gremlin's Finest Hours. That's from the serial. Um, or is that... Wait, or is that... Is that the animated 
79 to 82. I think that might be animated, yeah. Sam Jones, Entertainment Earth on Flash Gordon merchandise. I mean, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Reunion featurette. uh, I would get it just for the Brian Blessed anecdotes. Oh, no kidding. He's had some great stories to tell about this movie over the years. They are just hysterical. And then uh, f- it's it's five discs. Uh, also, you have um, bonus Blu-ray disc, Life After Flash, the 2017 feature documentary. The original soundtrack. A book, a mini book, reproduced booklet of the first strip of original comic books, a poster art cards and a patch a flash patch you could you could sew this patch on your jacket and you could be flash this is this is a a treasure chest of stuff give me the goodies right mm-hmm. and it's only available in the UK August 3rd for now for now for now now, uh, I would say, I would point out that my birthday is coming into this month, but uh, you can't get it for me because it's not available till August. But Christmas is coming up at the end of this year. And if you feel so inclined, um, feel free to buy this for me. I'll, I'll let you. And if you want to send it to us, here is our mailing address. 1503 Main Street, <laughs> Box 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. Now, I, I am perfectly fine putting that address out there because it is not the home address of anyone it is the home office address it is off-site so i'm not uh i'm not too terribly worried that anything untoward will happen there but uh, no no businesses businesses should have an address where people can send things yes safely of course so Um, yeah there's just i mean that's that's a really really impressive set and when you consider um it really for for all the fact it got fairly good reviews early on mm. um you know roger ebert was like this movie is fun <laughs> and and this of course was a time when when ebert was you know a real force in the industry for, for movie reviews yeah it wasn't universal of course not everyone liked it but it was one of those films that you just it was really really hard to see it having the legs that it had and and the just the fandom that it has has kept over the years and to just be still entertaining. I mean, it's very much a product of its time. It's very silly. Well, the fact that it's, the fact that it's gained such a cult following Mm -hmm. is another Testament to the picture itself. It's, it's not star Wars. It's not Superman 78. It's not alien but it's one of those that has such an unexpected impact on genre especially certainly mm-hmm. uh, but in in but the zeitgeist i guess you could say the pop culture because of the queen soundtrack because well it's some can, amazing you, lines of dialogue well and you go anywhere and I, I could say you could probably go anywhere, at least in the United States or the UK, and go, Flash! And somebody will say, ah, they'll do it because everybody knows it. Um, I think that, that one of the things that really just amused me no, no end when I was 
looking at various things today. If you go, if you folks find yourself over at the TV Tropes uh, uh, website, there's a wonderful little thing where <clears throat> this is the rundown of the plot, and it's taken entirely from the song, uh, from the title track. Um, Seemingly, there is no reason for these ex extraordinary intergalactic upsets. Only Hans Zarkov, formerly at NASA, has provided any explanation. This morning's unprecedented solar eclipse is no cause for alarm. What's happening, Flash? Strange object imaged in the Imperial Vortex. General Kala, Flash Gordon approaching. What do you mean, Flash Gordon approaching? Open fire! All weapons! Dispatch war rocket Ajax to bring back his body! Gordon's alive? Alive? Lie? <laughs> flash, Flash, I love you, but we only have 14 hours to save the Earth. That's the entire plot of the movie. Yep. It's all there. Yep, and it's <laughs> and all It's tropes. all in one song. Yep. One song tells you the entire story of this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> and where, I mean, this is, why, this is why remaking this would be, you just couldn't remake this because you simply could not capture all of the things that would be the things that are great about this. <laughs> I, uh, stop. I fully expect $5 for the word zeitgeist. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, um, you know what? Um, no, you don't get a spoiler alert for this movie because if you haven't seen it yet, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> uh, speaking of $5, if anybody wants to give us $5, we've got an account over at subscribe star. We've also got a $10 level. I'll just throw that out there for anyone who's interested because, uh, stuff uh, yeah uh yeah robert uh, melody anderson did star in manimal uh and uh there's a there's a tv show that's ripe for a remake don't do it please please don't <laughs> there's there's no need to remake manimal it's okay it's all right you know um, it's funny because when i look at i look at pictures of melody anderson and i and i always think about melissa sue anderson Oh. who played uh, Mary Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. Sure. And yeah. I don't know if it's the eyes or the or the facial structure or something, but there's something about Melody Anderson and Melissa Sue Anderson. They look enough alike. They could be sort of, and, and, you know, the name Anderson, of course, uh, you know, they could almost be sisters, but I don't think they are. Um and also, I don't. I haven't seen anything from Melissa Sue Anderson in well since since the Little House on the Prairie. What is she hmm. up to these days? I have no idea. Well, let's take a look. Oh, it's a this. This is a cast. I mean, just the 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 casting on this is just so perfect. Although, for those of you who get upset about uh, uh, you know, think that that flipping the gender of a character is a new thing, it's not, folks. Uh, General Kala, in the original strips, was a guy. He was also uh, a fish, but, you know. <laughs> uh, Mary Angela uh, Mulatto, of course, playing the extremely chilling, the uh, General Kala there. Of course, she is the one who uh, you know, sent Ajax uh, after Flash to retrieve the body. Um, um, Melissa Sue Anderson was in Veronica Mars, was in the movie. Played really? Stosh's mother and was uncredited for the part. This was in 2014. She huh. did a she did a thing in 2018. The con is on. 
Um, with Uma Thurman and Tim Roth. Really? She's in that movie. I don't. I don't expect. I haven't seen. That. I haven't Stephen seen Fry's that film, in that so. movie. Maggie Q. Hmm. Alice Eve. I've never even heard of this movie. Crispin Glover. It may not be that good then, but it's got a great cast. In an effort to avoid paying off a massive gambling debt to a notorious mobster in England, a couple flee to Los Angeles and hatch a jewel theft plot. When did it come out? 2018. Hmm. Well, you know, not every film gets the audience it deserves, and it's not every film with a great cast. There was a sequel to A Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. It well, it starred the same cast anyway, and Fierce Creatures was not actually a sequel, but yeah, she uh, did. She has been she has been busy. She it it doesn't look like she's ever really taken much of a break. I mean, there's been some time in between projects, but she's been steadily working throughout this entire time. Who knew? She Her was fans. in the X Men animated series. A lot of people were in the X Men animated series. <laughs> yeah, that or gargoyles. Hey, if you get a chance to get great voice talent, take it. Absolutely. And speaking of which, uh, I have been, I I showed the first, what was it, the first couple, two, three, four episodes of X-Men animated to Mrs. Boss over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite sure that she's sold on it yet. Um, I think Gargoyles is probably being a little bit better received than X-Men. Um, and and when I go back and look at it, the the animation on X Men is a little rougher than I remember. And it's a little it, rougher than Gargoyles, although it's still it, that same that same style. It's that same period. Yeah, um, I think that the X Men X Men benefits, of course, from when it came out and and our age. I think when it came out. Yeah. Um, and and our expectations for animation at the time. There's a certain fondness that. We we forgive some of those rough edges because we remember what it was like before that. Because there were some less than uh, less than polished animated productions. Yeah. Um, Do we even want to talk about the sci-fi series of Flash Gordon? We can, but here's the thing that really sums up the sci-fi series of Flash Gordon for me. I remember I've watched it. <laughs> and there's not much more I can say about it, which is really disappointing. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't have a, a real strong recollection of it being terrible. But I also don't have a strong recollection of it being, you know, memorable. Which is unfortunate because you know you know you know they set out to make something that was, you know, entertaining and people wanted to, they want, wanted people to remember it, but it just it just not sticking. Right. Well, and I think part of that for me is that the kid playing Flash Gordon, uh, Eric Johnson, at the time was it just struck me as being too young, mm -hmm. and it felt like we're going for. A particular audience, these days we call them the CW crowd or the millennials, you know, that that 20 something, the 20 tween somethings. And they and they watch shows. So they're a very yeah. valid target audience. Yeah. But 
it always felt to me that the the entire almost the entire cast was miscast mm. just just too young across the board especially for flash and dale i uh i have a very fond memory of the uh uh dan jurgens 88 comic book series it was a nine issue series mm. um that uh um i'm not i'm not entirely sure it would hold up going back and rereading it but i remember in 88 when it came out and i bought it yeah uh at the comic book store i uh i remember enjoying it i thought the artwork and i can't remember who did the art um i don't <clears throat> while you're looking that up in the series john ralston played ming the merciless um, and he, where else have we seen him? Cause I've seen him in some other stuff. Uh, he was in Bitten. He was in Degrassi. Ascension. That's, that's probably where I saw him. Um, Flash Gordon. Strange J, Strange Days at Blake Halsey High. Oh, Jurgens! Jurgens did the art on that, and then the art did it too. I didn't. I for some reason I thought he only written he had written it, but he did the uh, pencils for it. Oh, okay, all right. Um, I I rather I I liked the look of it. It it uh, it was not entirely. It wasn't based on the movie, but it had a distinct style that actually made it. Uh, uh, there there were elements of it that worked its way in there, with also being true to the some of the original designs for yeah. the well, I mean, and that sort of stuff. And you can't you really can't go wrong with Dan Jurgens. I mean I've generally found that uh, I've enjoyed his stuff over the years. No. Um but uh yeah, uh that's actually I I I might have that that run in one of my boxes of comic books that's in the closet. Um I'm going to have to see if I can dig those out and see if I actually still have those. That would be kind of fun to find. Well, let me uh, um, let me throw this one up. Make sure that there's not any kind of weird images in the search. Um, here's a cover from issue four. Yeah. And it does, it does have that vibe. It, but, I mean, it's got the Alex Raymond vibe. But it's mm -hmm. also got, you know, as far as like the color scheme and stuff, it's got, yeah. you know, that. And he did some. That he did some visual that. things. Uh, uh, Ming and and some of the other characters, they they looked a little bit more alien than they necessarily look here. They've got uh, they had gray skin instead of just the standard, uh, you know, palette that we're used to, and and they show in in this particular movie. Yeah. But uh, they made him a little more alien. So it's it was an interesting it was an interesting take. Like I said, I'd have to see if it holds up. Well, uh, and that actually works too because Ming is an alien. Oh, sure. And you know, the, you know, you have, well, for example, like with Buck Rogers, you know, where as you update, you know, Killer Kane and Princess Ardala are aliens. They're not from Earth. They're not part of the Han. They're not. You know, that whole that whole thing with the Chinese goes away. And they become villains from another part of the galaxy, which, you know, 
that works a whole lot better nowadays with with well it works a whole lot better just in general in terms of because i mean we're to some degree uh moving away from you know things like the yellow peril uh actually frees you up to tell different kinds of stories and and broader stories because let's face it we understand how humans work it's always more fun when the aliens have you know thousand year motivation plans to just test test planets to destruction and see if anybody notices i mean just because you're bored i mean (laughs) and really has anyone able to to just to bring boredom to such wonderful heights as max von sitow uh well we had a beep we had a beep yes we had a beep so i'm gonna throw this back up there if you if anybody wants to send us anything um check our money order sure (laughs) sci-fi for me there is our mailing address 1503 main street we do have a i thought it was fun we got a main street address so there is that. And, of course, if you would like a discount on stuff, SuperheroStuff.com, you can use the uh, uh, code Sci-Fi for me 10 when you check out. You get 10% off. And, of course, like right. I said before, we have two tiers now at Subscribestar uh, for anybody who would like to support us that way. And we will have something else to discuss next week along those lines. As we get into plans and schemes, and we will uh, make a make a little bit of announcement next week, hopefully. <laughs> Two hundred and twenty-five next week, the number of episodes that we've done for the show. We've done a few. Yes, that's that's kind of a wild ride there. So. And uh, we haven't run out of things to talk about yet. Not yet. We're getting there, though. <laughs> yes, because we have we have covered all the things. All the things. All the things. Yes. All right. Well, when we're gonna... done, there will be nothing else to discuss anywhere. <laughs> well, if we can manage to get to three hundred, I think we'll be doing okay. Oh yeah, so, no complete. Yeah, yeah I, we'll it's, take it's, it a, it's a decent goal. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, everyone, for watching. Those of you participating in the chat, thank you for your thoughts and comments. If you are watching in replay or if you are listening to this in the podcast form, uh, you can leave a comment or you can uh, send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. Leave us your comments on your experiences with Flash Gordon, especially the 1980 version. And... uh, let us know your thoughts about it. And then, of course, as we get closer to the release date for the UK, maybe we'll get some news of it coming to the US. And yeah, that would be. See what happens. That'd be fantastic. That would be fantastic. Also, if you are listening in podcast form, don't forget to rate and share. It's. Uh, Something that will help with algorithms and, and whatnot, of course. If you want to give us a thumbs up here on YouTube, that is uh, more than okay. It is very welcome. Any uh, any feedback and support helps with other people being able to find the show. So Definitely, uh, yeah. So, yeah. all right. That is it. Flash Gordon 4K Restoration coming out August 3rd in the UK. And hopefully to a hopefully to a uh, uh, 
I order am, a form th- th- near you. I am put out. I shall be very put out if it does not come to the U.S. So uh, that'll that'll hurt. That'll hurt. Yeah. Although, like I said, I was watching watching my digital copy that I uh, I paid real money for today, and uh, if I have to settle for that, at least I'll turn it up really really loud. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, everyone. We will be back next week with a special announcement in 225 here on the H2O podcast on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Good night, everyone. Good night. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.